All right, guys, Seth and Tony here. Uh, we just finished up district action down at the Cintas Center to wrap up the district finals weekend. Uh, we saw a heck of a lot of basketball over the course of three days. Um, and this is going to be our basically weekend recap of districts. Uh, and we're just going to go ahead and jump right into it, Tony. Yeah, let's go ahead and start from uh, bottom and work our way up. Let's do D4, one, because that's the lowest division, two, because that was the first set of games we saw Friday. So let's just kind of start with that first game that we saw, which was... Uh, the 5:30 game up at Butler. Yep. It was New Miami against Fort Laramie. Yep, so Fort Laramie came out of that game uh, victorious. Uh, Seth, kind of what we had... We kind of talked about when we did our analysis of halftime during that game... Fort Laramie, from top to bottom, was the more physical team during the, that game. You know, New Miami only played with about five guys. Fort Laramie had about seven, eight, and they were all extremely strong. We've always talked about, like, that country strength that we see some of these schools of the Shelby County League and the MAC uh, bring, and uh, Fort Laramie brought that in that game. Yeah, they really did, and it came from a cast, you know, a different cast than than maybe a lot of us were expecting. I know myself in particular, I was surprised uh, that Nick Brandewey didn't uh, affect the scoreboard more. Uh, he certainly played very physical, uh, you know, and kept that Fort Loramie team going. Uh, the kid that impressed me the most from Fort Loramie, though, was Connor Meyer. Oh, yeah. Uh, he had, uh, I think, a 20-point game, if my memory serves right, uh, or right close to it. Um, and really, was he was knocking down shots. He's got a terrific jump shot. Uh, he's a tall kid uh, who elevates his jump shot uh, to get it over, you know, some contested uh, attempts, uh, and he gets them to go. Um, he played a really, really good game. Uh, and from New Miami, although they 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 did uh, go down in this one, um, you know, their three guys in Duncan and then the two Robinettes, uh, Jordan Robinette. Uh, really impressed me, Tony. Yeah, he was. It was just watching him offensively was phenomenal. I mean, he was really scoring at will. Uh, his brother Trey kind of. I mean, he was really struggled a little bit. Deanza Duncan had a pretty solid game as well. Um, my my big thing with Deanza was just some of his decision making on his shots were not the. I was a little concerned with that. Uh, but you know that trio, they're all juniors. They, they were fighting in that first quarter. I mean, Fort Loramie never really had total control of that game until the second half. So I'm very confident that New Miami is going to bring back all three of these kids, both Robinettes and Duncan, and they're going to absolutely be phenomenal. I mean, I could see this team being back in the district finals again next year, Seth. Uh, yeah, they certainly could. Uh, they come out of a division where they, they certainly have the capability to get there, um, and bringing back you know that number of kids is going to be – extremely crucial for them yeah. um you, you know uh again I, I saw trey robinette play last year uh at the districts down at ud and he his shooting performance on that night was much better uh, than this night um, but unfortunately fort loramie goes down um and then they will move on uh to their regional semifinal matchup uh, to take on the Wellington School from Columbus. Yes, and we won't talk too much about that now just because this will, we're going to try to keep this just to our district recap for Correct. now. Uh, so that's who they will face. Our second matchup up in at uh, Butler was Jackson Center out of the Shelby County League up against Cedarville out of the Ohio Heritage Conference. Uh, two of the top teams all season in Division Four. Jackson Center ended up winning that one. I do remember a score on that being 33-30. to 30. 
and Seth, one of the biggest things from that game was just how uh, low scoring and how defensive oriented Jackson Center is. They really are. You know, they they their half court set is extremely tough uh, to penetrate uh, into the zone with. Uh, Cedarville and, and Colby Cross in particular found success with just kind of getting inside the perimeter a little bit and then elevating for some good mid-range jump shots as well as some very good three-point shooting. Um, unfortunately for Cedarville, it just wasn't enough uh, on Friday night. Uh, you know, they, they had some attempts down the stretch where if they could have made another shot or two, they would have been right in it. Um, and Cedarville has a couple of really good players. You know, we mentioned Colby Cross. He's the senior. He's going to be moving on. Uh, but they've got Trent Koning, uh, who had a, a, a decent game. I would have liked to have seen him contribute more offensively on a night where Cedarville needed buckets anywhere they could get them from. Um, and, and unfortunately, even in the fourth quarter, Colby Cross had all eight of their points. Uh, if he had had a little bit more help on Friday night, you know, you never know what could have happened. And with it being such a close game, and in this one too, Jackson Center never really had total control. And I think we even talked about a couple times during that game how we were kind of surprised how Jackson Center was playing. I mean, it was almost to, it was almost as if they were asleep to start that game off. And you know, not knowing where Cross is, not knowing where Koenig is, because he got some good shots off early. Too. And you would think that the scouting report, you would have known that's their guys that are going to score. So Correct. But luckily for Jackson Center, they had Mr. Superman, Aiden Riker. Yeah. Uh, Aiden, clearly, he was the biggest kid on the court. Uh, and he just he went to absolute freaking work. Yeah. I think the kid finished with 19 of their 33. Uh, if Again, if my memory serves, I believe it was 19 of their 33. Uh, so over half their points, you know, he was – he was pretty much just playing bully ball. They were getting him the ball in the post, and he was just scoring at will. I think it took up until the fourth quarter where he actually missed a shot from the field. Uh, he had some up and down play from the line, from the free throw line, but from the field, the, the kid was unstoppable and, and didn't hardly miss until very late in that game. Yeah, and but my concern with that too is Jackson Center didn't really have – kind of already hit on it there but you know, not really anybody else stepped up with the scoring column I know in the sectional tournament we saw Chris Elkert play a pretty good game he did not look very great against Cedarville credit that to the Indians defense kind of taking him out of the picture he did hit a couple of threes but it right. wasn't like he hit four or five to like, really put him away yeah so that's a concern for Jackson Center but at the end of the day you know it came down to a Colby Cross half court shot to send it to overtime uh, couldn't get it to fall, ended a great high school career for Cross. You know, Cedarville, in my opinion, made one of the biggest strides in the last five years, going from a team that won two games a few years ago to playing in a district final and giving Jackson Center, who's one of the best D4 programs in the state of Ohio, run for their money. So Jackson Center moved on into the regional semifinals, and they played the winner of our final game at Butler, which was between Cincinnati Christian and Emmanuel Christian. Christian. Yeah, so Cincinnati Christian came in. Uh, I, I know one of the first things that we noticed was they had some size for a Division Four team. They really did. It started with Logan Woods, their sophomore, who's 6'3", but uh, when you're sitting court level, he looks a lot taller than that. Correct. Um, they had that big guy down low as well, Cameron, Cameron Rogers. Rogers. They had Kai Vance, who was about 6'3", 6'4", as well. I mean, the Cougars had size, and it showed – 
Um, and even they had some guard play too. KJ Swain was another guy, a guard for them that you know dagger of a three point shot, extremely quick, good uh, basketball IQ, good court vision of the floor as a point guard. You know looked phenomenal. And Emmanuel Christian in that one, they fought for a lot of that game. They but, really did. But come the fourth quarter, Cincinnati Christian's size and just the skill level kind of took a gap there. Correct. And, and Emmanuel Christian got uh, a heck of an effort from their whole team. Uh, you know, one of the better D4 players in the area, Fred Tropshire. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had a heck of a game getting it done at, at all three levels. Uh, whether it was it was elevating for outside shots in mid-range or fighting his way through the lane to finish around the rim and bringing it defensively uh, showed why he was one of our picks for uh, All-NBC. Uh, that kid really played his heart out. Uh, they got some good play from uh, the two Justice kids, too. Justin Channels and Jason uh, Channels. Channels. I'm yeah. sorry, Justice Channels, the Channel kids. Yeah, Jason. Justin and Jason. Yeah, Justice was a little bit more of a shooter, shooter I think. Jason had a little more of an all-around game, but... Yeah, both of them overall, they brought uh, secondary scoring potential for uh, for the Lions. But at the end of the day, I mean, Emmanuel Christian was on a 19 or 20 game winning streak coming into that game. There was a lot of pressure on their shoulders, and you're going up against a Cincy Christian team that a lot of people feel like are now the, the front runners in Division Four. So, you know, Emmanuel fought for three quarters, but at the end of the day, uh, they just couldn't get it done, which sets up Cincinnati Christian and Jackson Center as our second regional matchup um, and, and that pretty much wraps up the th- the three local regional games yes or um, I'm sorry district final games and again sets up the two division four semifinals again we've got the Wellington school in Fort Loramie and then you've got uh, Cincinnati Christian at Jackson Center so, so that wraps up division four yes so that'll take us now into division three and uh, Seth these games were, were yesterday our first matchup yesterday, we had the Anna Rockets taking on the National Trailblazers with Anna winning that one 69 to 54. Um, Seth, I know one name that I wanted to bring up right off the bat for National Trail that we both were extremely impressed with was their senior forward, Zach Woodall. Yes, he was absolutely outstanding. Um, Zach really played one heck of a game. Uh, he, he brought it, he had a 20 point game, I believe. Uh, had a number of rebounds, but he really paced uh, this Blazers team. Uh, it, even though it was in a, a losing effort, ultimately, uh, Zach scored the ball again at all three levels. He had some really, he had a nice touch from outside and in mid range, you know, tall frame, elevated, got shots to go uh, over really good contests from in, uh, the Rocket defenders, uh, and was even able to get some, some back to the basket work going down low on the post uh, when he got good favorable switches um, and pounded the ball down low and was just really crafty uh, down in the paint and around the rim uh, to get a, get a lot of buckets to fall where uh, where the Blazers were struggling to get scoring uh, from anyone outside of Woodall and then their other uh, other kid, Cameron uh, Cam Harrison. Harrison. Yeah, Cameron Harrison was the other guy. That first quarter, Harrison had, he was carrying that team for the first quarter and then Woodall really kind of took over. Harrison had a beautiful jump shot, especially off the dribble. Um, you know, National Trail was in that game, but second half, I mean, this Anna team, we've talked about it. They're such a good, well-rounded group, and their starting five may be one of the most physical starting fives 
uh, in Division Three with the remaining teams when we, go, when we cover a few more of them. And a lot of that, again, goes back to they come out of the Shelby County League where you have to be physical and well-rounded to advance in the league. Well, and you just see some of the some of the muscle that they've got. Justin Murray uh, for Anna, he's their big guy. Although he doesn't necessarily get a ton of points on the scoreboard, he really brings it down in the paint uh, in, in the rebounding column. Uh, and in the defensive columns uh, to really set the tone for them. And then you've got their two their two guards in uh, Riley Hulskamp and Bart Bixler, uh, two of the more physical D3 guards. They're both very fast. Uh, Hulskamp in particular is just stinking strong. Bixler's got the ability to score again at all three levels. The kid just has a knack for getting to the rim and he can finish with the best of them inside. Yep. Uh, if for a little for a smaller guy in terms of stature, anyways, he can he really gets crafty in how he gets the ball up and, and onto the rim and gets it to fall. Yeah, and another name I want to throw out there, Cameron Stewart, their other senior. Yes. Really good two-way player. I mean, on the offensive end, he could score from multiple levels as well. Got a lot of good shots off in the paint, whether they were contested or open. But then defensively, too, he's definitely got a football build to him, and he's not afraid to bully a lot of the uh, bigger players. He's only about 6'2", so he's not that tall, but because of his physicality, it makes him such a weapon on the low block. Well, and his athleticism. That 6'2", when you pair it with his vertical leaping ability, is what really changes the, the picture for him because when you see him going up for rebounds and his you know, his elbows are above the rim pulling these rebounds down. It's it's very impressive to see him go to work like that. And in, a, you know, a smaller sample size of Division Four, that is something that not many teams can bring to the table in terms of physicality yeah. and athleticism. So Anna certainly has one heck of a squad that will be moving on. Uh, and uh, then the second game... Um, uh, did, you wanted to say one more thing about Anna, right? No, not about Anna. Oh. No, just about our next game, which was between Deer Park and uh, Milton Union, with Deer Park winning by, I don't even remember the final score. It was 40-plus. It, like. it was it was around 40 points. I know they, they hit the running clock against Milton Union uh, late in the fourth quarter, so it was, it was around that 37, 38-point mark, I believe, yeah. in terms of the gap. Um, Deer Park was just too much for Milton Union. You know, and I, I want to start off with this, and I'm not taking anything away from Milton Union at all. They had a great season, and they get, and not a lot of teams make it to the district finals. But I made a comment to you that I felt like this Milton Union team uh, really had an easy path to get to this game. They did. They their really first, did. Their first matchup was against an Arcanum team that they had just played two weeks prior, and Milton Union lost that game, but in this matchup with the Arcanum and the sectionals, beat them by 30-plus. And then they got a Mad Middletown Madison team that they split the regular season with, and then Madison, for whatever reason, this the last four years, has these good teams and just cannot get out of the sectionals. So Milton Union, of course, took care of business. But when you look at this Milton Union team, they just don't have the talent and athleticism that I was looking for in a district finalist. And it showed against a Deer Park team that was much more athletic, yeah. much better basketball players, a lot more height. I mean, every, every aspect of the game, Deer Park had the advantage, and it made it very difficult to watch this game because Milton Union, even with the fight they brought in the first half, they couldn't match it. 
No, and and credit that to Deer Park. I mean, Steve Gentry Jr. is is a heck of a basketball player. Uh, the kid was scoring the ball from all over the court, uh, whether it be you know lefty pull up from from long range or using his speed and quickness uh, and and ball control to get in the lane and finish. Um, you know, he really set the tone for this Deer Park team. They had a number of other weapons as well. Yeah, Anai Elliott at 6'6 was blocking really any shot that went up at the rim because there was no one from Milton Union that had the size to match up with him. You had Trey Munson who was over there getting some big shots off from behind the arc. Uh, got in some foul trouble first half, so we didn't see a lot of him uh, in that first half. But when he was in, he contributed. Deshaun McIntyre brought rebounding and more of a defensive presence than anything else. I mean, their starting five was phenomenal. And they gel really well together. Um, with Deer Park, though, the big thing with me was, uh, number one, they don't have much of a of depth in the paint, uh, on the paint and on their bench. And number two, you can't help but wonder what would have happened if Mark Wise was playing. No kidding. I mean, if Mark Wise was, was still playing for this team, I, I mean, you'd be, I mean, they'd be, on paper, one of the best teams in Division Three, uh, but we all know that just because the team looks good on paper, doesn't always match up. Uh, Deer Park moved on in that game, uh, and we took a trip over to um, to Northmont uh, to see a Stivers team take on a Taft team that many thought on paper at the beginning of the year, us included almost rode them in as state champions in Division Three after they, after the competitive balance brought them down to D3. Yep. But at the end of the day, it was Stivers bringing in uh, two of their players that they hadn't had second half of the season coming back, and Trayvon Ellis and uh, Antonio Aubrey, and Stivers pulled the upset 77-73. to 73. They really did, and, and unfortunately, we were only there for the first half of this game, um, so we can't speak too much to how Stivers pulled it out in the final minutes. But in the first half, at the very least, it was in uh, bringing their physicality to this Taft team. Uh, it, it was getting in their heads and pressuring the ball. You know, Taft does like to play fast, but, but Stivers was really forcing them to try to play even faster or was just getting in the way and forcing some of these long transition passes that were going out of bounds. They got some really good shot making. Uh, from from Ellis and from Alan Lattimore, uh, who was who was making them rain from three, uh, and bringing some really good shooting to the table, uh, and Doug Spears bringing the ball up for Stivers, uh, much smaller height wise guard, but nobody can say he's not a physical guard. He looks like a bowling ball out there, but he does an incredible job. Uh, he did a really good job of handling the pressure that Taft was trying to apply. Uh, again, at least in, from what we saw in the first half, uh, and, and really got Stivers going to make it a very close game at halftime. Uh, I believe it was a two-point game at half. Yes, correct. Um, and, and clearly, they transferred that. They were able to transfer that into the second half, uh, and ultimately pull off the upset of again what many people thought was uh, an eventual state champion in Taft. Yeah, played Spears played with a ton of passion in that game. Um, I kind of wonder, too, what Taft's mindset was coming into that game. I don't know if many people know this, but Taft showed up with uh, about 14 minutes before the game was supposed to tip off, and they had to throw their stuff on right away. I mean, they kind of – it almost makes me wonder if they kind of brought the, a, a 
lax mindset, and that's why they struggled a little bit. Maybe they didn't underestimate what Stivers was going to bring to the table. I mean, we could play that what-if game a while, but at the end of the day, Stivers pulls a huge upset. And becomes back-to-back district district champs. champs. Yep, so they'll be back in the regionals. Uh, And then our final matchup in the the D3 district finals, again, Seth and I were not in attendance for this one, was Versailles versus Cincinnati Hills Christian Academy. Uh, this was a game that when we did our sectional preview, we, we both predicted these teams to make it to this district final. We did. Uh, we did think CHCA would win it, and yeah. CHCA did win it 57-47. to 47. From all accounts, we were able to see CHCA led pretty much the whole way. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't ever really in doubt. I mean, it, Versailles kept it very close. Uh, kept it to one, you know, under 10 points most of the game, but ultimately CHCA moves on. Uh, so our matchups then uh, for D3, uh, Anna is going to be taking on Stivers, uh, and Deer Park will be taking on CHCA uh, down at UD Arena for our regional matchups. Yep. Uh, so that'll move us into Division 2, uh, which was also on Friday night. Again, we were up at Butler for D4, so we didn't see these games, uh, unfortunately, because they looked like they were some really, really good games. Yes. Uh, I believe the first game down there uh, was Alter Wyoming. taking on uh, a previously undefeated Wyoming team uh, down from the Cincinnati Hills League um, with, with Evan Prater and Isaiah Walker. Um, and again, from all accounts, Alter's big three got it done. I believe Jack Smith had 20 points. Connor Stolle, I believe, had 17. Jacob Connor threw in another uh, another double digits. And then Brady Ewell kicked in, I, I believe, another 15 or 17 points. This Alter team is rolling, Tony. Yeah, and I and we kind of called this in the, in the sectional. We said that even though Wyoming was undefeated, the way this Alter team plays, it was going to be very tough to beat them. And it showed. They were up 23-9 to at the end of that first quarter. And again, from all accounts of what we saw and what we read, Alter was in total control almost that entire game. Correct. Uh, I, from what I saw in the stat sheet, they were able to they held Isaiah Walker down. Evan Prater, I believe, had a 32-point game for Wyoming, mm-hmm. but it was ultimately in a losing effort. Uh, so all of the Alter Knights march on to the, the regional semifinal. Uh, the second game of the night pitted Thurgood Marshall against Hughes yep. uh, in what was a rematch of an earlier game in the year. Yes, the, the Thurgood had won. Uh, it was a back and again. It was a back and forth exchange from all accounts that we kind of read about. With Thurgood Marshall ultimately advancing in the game, uh, Makai Elmore hit a huge th- uh, three to, to go ahead and uh, win that game for him. So and he had, I believe, he had 27 points in that game. Oh, okay, um, that was the stat line that I saw. Uh, so Elmore clearly had a shot going. I know I was following along intently. Um, and, and saw a number of feeds that said he was just hitting back-to-back big threes down the stretch. Uh, certainly Anthony McComb, Prophet Johnson, Chance Amerson uh, got involved and ultimately uh, held down uh, McKenzie and company uh, to, to take that game from Hughes. Again, Thurgood knew that they could do it. They repeated what they did earlier in the year, and they march on. Uh, to the regional semifinal as well. Yes, and so that took us into the last game, which was Trotwood Madison up against Purcell Marion out of Cincinnati. And Seth, this was a little bit of an interesting one. Um, Trotwood Madison, believe it or not, 
was down 40 to 23 at halftime against Purcell Marion. And, and Tony and I were sitting together when that happened. Um, and I turned and looked at him and I said, I'm not worried. And Tony said, well, I, I am, I would be. And I'm like, but this is Trotwood we're talking about. Yes. They might not be the same Trotwood team from last year, but Rocky Rockhold's team knows how to get it done. Uh, and ultimately, they stormed back in the second half, pulled that game away from Purcell Marion. Uh, again, from the counts that we heard, uh, Purcell had a number of guys that were really going in the first half. Uh, one of their guys I know had 18 points at half, uh, but then only ended up with two points in the second half the rest of the way. That, I think, kind of tells know kind of a, a big picture of the of a tale of two halves where Purcell was completely in control and they just didn't have what it took to sustain it over four quarters but that's Trotwood's game they're okay to be down a little bit you know they might not like it but they know that eventually their style of play the pressure that they apply the speed at which they play and the level of, of endurance you have to hang with this Trotwood team has got to be at the highest level, and and Purcell Marion just didn't have it tonight. Did you so, have to bring that story up? I did actually have to bring that up because, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so Trotwood marches on. Yeah, yeah. They they, they advance on. So uh, that would set up a regional tournament where Trotwood would be getting a rematch with Thurgood Marshall, Marshall. and then Alter will get the district champ out of Columbus, who was Columbus Beechcroft out of the Columbus City League. So, again, we're not going to go into the, the regional matchups just yet. Uh, that'll take care of Division Two, though, and that'll put us into the Division One matchups, which we are driving home from after watching today. Uh, we did get to see all four of those games. So let's, let's start with the first one, which was Lakota East against our local team, the Beaver Creek Beavers. And, Seth, this game ended up being a lot closer than I think either one of us anticipated. Yeah, we came in knowing, you know, Beaver Creek had – a better season than most people anticipated. Um, you know, I had stated that they could be a dark horse team uh, in the GWAC in our in our season preview that we did, and they turned out to do just that. It took a final game at Centerville High School uh, for the Elks uh, to put the Beavers down uh, and not let them grab a share of their conference division title. Um, but Beaver Creek clearly has, has played sustained play well all season long. Um, in particular, they had three guys that really powered them throughout the year. Uh, uh, Chris Herbort, uh, Adam Duvall, and Yusuf Saleh. Uh, all three very talented players. Uh, and unfortunately for them, Lakota East was just a little bit bigger, a little more physical, uh, and had a kid in Nate Johnson who is clearly one of the best players in his class in the state. Yeah, Beaver Creek, as good as, they, as those guys were that you just named, they didn't have anybody that could match up to Johnson athletically. Uh, they did kind of contain him a little bit better after a big first quarter, which he put up, I believe, 11 points. It was either 8 or 11, but it was in that he finished range. with 16 at the end of the game, so they held him down in the second half yeah. and really made this a really good game. Uh, Yusuf Saleh, in particular, had a heck of a game for Creek. I believe he finished with 16 as well to match Johnson, at least on the scoreboard, if not in in just overall ability. Yeah, um, played his heart out, man. He played he played hard on both ends of the floor, but ultimately, you know, East had just East had that physicality factor that Beaver Creek just could not match. Um, 
Adam Duvall, I was kind of hoping would do a little bit more in that game, but I mean, him being a sophomore going up against a senior and Alex Mangold, you know, it was very difficult to do a lot of things. That he you say, and it came down to uh, Beaver Creek got a bucket to go with a with a couple seconds left. East got it all the way down the court where uh, a shot went up. Mangold got the rebound and was fouled with 1.6 left. He stepped up. He stepped up to the free throw line and as a senior did his job knocked down the two free throws to put his team up two, and then Chris Herbord's half-court attempt just grazes off the rim. Uh, really was an impressive game from this Creek squad uh, that, that we had some doubts as to whether they were going to be able to hang with East, uh, but and, and they did. They played their hearts out. Uh, ultimately, East moves on, though. Yes, and that took us into the second game, which uh, was a little bit out of... Uh, well, I'll just go ahead and say it. Moeller just dominated Springboro. Unfortunately. <laughs> I mean, and and quite frankly, you know, Springboro had a good season in the G-Walk. They pulled a couple of upsets uh, against some teams that people didn't see necessarily coming. Uh, you know, they've got a couple good guys in Noah Moser and Willian Gates. Uh, their smaller guard and, and one of their, uh, I think, their three guard, yeah. Uh, both seniors, I believe. Yes, both seniors. Um, you know, they had a really good season. They both played extremely well uh, back in sectional play where we saw them last against Miamisburg. But this is Muller we're talking about. Logan Duncan, uh, no one on, on Burrow could match up to him. He just, anytime that, that Muller wanted to throw it down to him, he was catching it, using his footwork and his size, and just converting every opportunity you know, and they got really good shooting from Will McCracken, from Max Land, Alex Williams. I mean, just a whole host of kids. Uh, and, I mean, it shows why they've only lost, you know, th- three games in the last three seasons. Yeah. Not, not much more to really I'm say. Sorry, two games in the last three seasons. <laughs> yeah. Not, not mu- much more to say. Not much more to say in that one. So we're going to go into our next one, which was Centerville. Um, I'm drawing a blank here. Dakota Dakota West. West. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> been a long day. Um, Centerville came out on this one 48 to 40. Uh, kind of a, ch- a chippy game, which is to be expected when you got two uh, gritty group teams that are trying to win it. Uh, Lakota West really kept that game close with their guard play. I know Julian uh, Mackey, their senior guard, was a name that we had been told about going into this game, and he really showed out, had a lot of good scoring opportunities, very smooth style of play. He had another guard in Carter Combs that he was playing alongside that had a really great game as well. But at the end of the day, you know, Centerville got it done on the defensive end. They really did. And it was a wonder that this one wasn't a little bit bigger than it was because, quite frankly, when you looked at it, you've got Centerville who brings Rolf, House, both of the Njai brothers, all at 6'6", 6'7", and then you're talking the Njai brothers, 6'9", 6'11". You know, Centerville's a bigger team height-wise, and West's tallest player was 6'4". And quite frankly, I looked up at a couple of points, and they were tied in the rebound category. I couldn't believe it. Uh, but ultimately, down the stretch, uh, that size did make a difference. Rich Rolf for Centerville, their sophomore, had one heck of a game. Yes, uh, He powered them offensively in the first half where they couldn't get scoring hardly anywhere. I believe he had 11 at half, uh, and although he didn't really score much in the second half, 
I think he finished with 12 points. He brought it on the defensive end and finished with 17 rebounds. That, that's what makes Centerville so good is they don't need guys that are going to score you 20 and 30 points because they got guys that are going to give you 17 rebounds. They're going to block six shots, and that's what that, those little things are going to what are going to help you in the long run. Now, I do want to comment and say that you know we kind of talked about it in our half game and now halftime analysis. Excuse me, but. We need to see Mo Najai, you know, this regional tournament's going to give him his opportunity to kind of step it up. Mo Najai did not have a great game today, I don't think so. No, he didn't. He finished with a total of six points, four of the six coming at the free throw line. So he only made one basket in play. He had a number of blocks. I want to say he had five or six blocks yeah. because he did. And, and he really does bring it on the defensive end. Uh, and But even in this one, rebounding and just some of the ball skills that would turn him into a very dominant player. You look at guys that have similar size, Mo and a kid from Muller in Duncombe, who we're going to see match up next week in in, uh, in the regional semifinal. When you look at Muller and when they throw the ball to Duncombe, this kid is catching the ball with authority. He, he uses really, really fundamentally sound footwork and just all-around physical presence to get the ball to the rim where it's his hand on the backboard as he's laying it up or hand on the rim as he's just dropping it in. Uh, and sometimes Mo even struggles to catch an entry pass or to put two hands on the ball for a rebound. Yeah. Uh, you know, I like Mo. You know, he's a really good kid. He plays hard. Uh, but sometimes I wonder if his size in in the G-Walk doesn't affect the way that maybe he's viewed uh, overall when it comes to an overall talent sample. Uh, when he plays in the G-Walk, almost every, well, every game out, he's the biggest kid on the court. And for a kid of his size, his stature, his physicality, he should be dominating every game he plays in unless he comes up against a kid like a Logan Duncan. And, and I kind of want to say, and I, I feel like I can I can make this comment since I've seen both of them for three years, you know, watching Duncan when he first played as a freshman for Moeller to now, you can see consistent growth and consistent, you know, skill development that makes you see him go from this scrawny little freshman to a Big Ten recruit that every Big Ten school in the, in is the conference is Wisconsin. Indiana, Ohio State, all of them. The things he struggled with as a freshman, he's not struggling with now. And with, they've actually become his strengths. Yes. With Mo, though, that's there's some there are some things that between his sophomore year and his senior year, we have seen improvement. But there's a lot of things that he still is doing the same stuff. And one of the biggest things you kind of hit on was catching the basketball. I understand as a, a tall post player, you know, it can be tough sometimes on the post entry passes, but Every single game, it's been a problem, and it need it needs to be fixed. And with the last two years, him work supposedly working on things, um, I was hoping that by this point in the season, uh, we would have seen that improve. So this isn't meant to bash on Mo, like you said. You know, he's a very, very, very good young man, great basketball player, great defensive player, but we just want to see that next level out of him. We really do, and it, and it's because we've seen him grow. We've seen the strides that he's made in some areas of his game, the leadership aspect, some of the aggression that he plays with, you know, all of that. He's made huge strides in those departments. But it's just in some of just the natural uh, 
hand-eye coordination to catch the ball. You know, if he's going to play at a, at a high level, at the next level, that's got to be some things that gotta got to get turned around. But we've kind of harped on that a little bit. Uh, we did mention work. Mo's going to have his chance to see how he can how he can prove himself against a legitimate Big Ten D1 recruit uh, because Centerville draws the matchup with uh, Muller University <laughs> yes. uh, on Wednesday. Uh, I believe on Wednesday night. Yes. Uh, don't don't quote me on that. Mol- they do play Muller, that's for sure. Yeah, day-wise, not day-wise, 100%. not 100%. But then that'll take us into the final game of the night, which was, I'm glad it was the last one because it was the most exciting. It was a GCL South rematch between LaSalle and St. Xavier. A um, little bit of controversy in this one with the ending. Um, Just a little bit. Yeah. Um, um, the, we know coming in, LaSalle had taken the two regular season games against St. X. By like a combined eight points, I think. Something like that. Very yeah. close games uh, in both matchups. So you knew St. X was going to come out hungry, and that they certainly did. The yep. St. X team came out on fire. They looked to be the more physical team and looked like they just wanted it more. Yes, they had as much as a 14 or 16, one of those two-point lead. They held LaSalle at 13 points in the first half. They were getting it done on both ends of the floor. Uh, Kobe Reitner and uh, Hank Thomas, two guys for them that were just all over the place. It just seemed like on, on defense they'd make a stop and then St. X would get in transition and they're on the offensive and getting layups. Unbelievable performance for the Bombers. Um, in the second half, though, uh, we had talked about the whole LaSalle had dug getting down 14, 16 points. Well, LaSalle was able to kind of crawl out. Back. I know one point I looked up the scoreboard. It was 36 to 24 uh, early on in the third quarter. And I made a mental note of that because it, there was a play where it looked like LaSalle may have just taken a little bit of momentum. And they started clawing their way back. Uh, really, really gritting it out, really, really fighting it out. Uh, and then come the end of the third quarter, they got a, a half-court prayer buzzer beater to bank in uh, that pulled them within five points at the end of the quarter. I believe it was 36 to 31, 31 yep. at the end of the third quarter. Yes. So a five-point game going into the fourth quarter, all the momentum swinging LaSalle's way. Fourth quarter comes and it was back and forth. You know, I, I remember looking at you at one point making a comment that it just seemed like LaSalle couldn't get within five points. Well, LaSalle was able to get it within five points, got it to about a three point game. And then free throws came into play. Free throws started killing it. St. X was not hitting their free throws down the stretch. LaSalle so was. So LaSalle got it down to three. Um, and then the controversial play, LaSalle, I can't remember the player's name, uh, with about a second left uh, got a pass from I think it was Jalen Lemons their senior guard that made the pass and then the LaSalle player puts up a a prayer from the deep right wing um, banks it in banks it in now we have video photography and videos videography that shows that he may have still had that ball in his hand when that buzzer went off and he did and it's not like it was on his fingertips coming off it was still down in in the in the shooting, you know, where he first got to a shooting motion before he elevated to throw it up. I understand that as a ref, that's a very hard call. You've got to be able to see, you've got to be able to see the ball out of his hand 
and see the red light on the backboard. You've got to see the ball in his hand and hear the horn. And in that environment with the two student sections, the two crowds from very local Cincy schools, it was deafening in there. So hearing the horn was certainly extremely difficult, if not almost impossible. And that really brings it down to the visual aspect, and it's hard to see two things at once. Yes. Unless you're in the perfect position where you're ahead of the play and you can see the ball in his hand uh, and the score in the backboard at the far end to see the light right up, light up red, you're not going to be able to make that call and to try to wave it off after it even after it goes in in a situation like that. I would not want to be the guy with the whistle in my mouth. No. So I've got to give, you know, the, you know, it's easy when you can take video replay and go back and get the call right. Because there are some calls that are just too tough to make in live time. You know, we've got some really good refs and they do their absolute best. But sometimes, and in situations like this, that human factor of, I can't look at two things at once I can't hear what I need to hear and be looking at what I need to look at in this environment. Um, doesn't work. It, it just, it doesn't work, unfortunately. I know when we get to state time, we bring replay into effect. I know it's hard to bring that in earlier in the tournament because it slows games down. But even if it was replay within the last two minutes of each half, I think it would benefit the high school game some. It would take some pressure off of the refs who get enough flack as it is, let alone trying to have to make these calls. I mean, people were furious that it counted. People were would have been furious if it wouldn't have counted. But people the, are going to pull tape on it both ways. It's a no-win situation for the ref. In LaSalle's case, the kid did everything he needed to do in order to make it count. He got the, He caught the pass. He got the shot off in a close enough window of time and got it to fall. But at the end of the day, I mean, take that away, even in overtime, the Cinex and LaSalle, that overtime game, the momentum even more shifted towards LaSalle. Saint and can you blame, I mean, can you blame Cinex after, you know, a defeating buzzer beater like that? No. I mean, it's hard it, I, It's hard to, to judge him for it, yes, but at the same time one You've of, got a tie ball LaSalle, game with four LaSalle's minutes to leading play. scorer was fouled out with 20, he had 20 points in that game he fat, had fouled out before that in shot regulation. in yep. regulation, and over time St. X was just chucking shots up in my opinion, wasn't really trying to run a lot of offense, I mean, they shot themselves in the foot, unfortunately um, and honestly, you know LaSalle, LaSalle won this game and they deserve to win this game, but there was definitely concerns at the end of the day because it wasn't a dominating win like we expected. No, and it took till the very last second and maybe even half a second past what they should have had to be able to pull this out. Yeah, so... And now, again, like you said, Cenex had all the time in the world where they could have won this game, and they just didn't. Yeah, so at the end of the day, it punched LaSalle's ticket to the regionals, which puts them uh, up against Lakota East in what should be a very good matchup between two physical teams. Um, and that basically wraps up our, our district final uh, recaps. Um, great, great set of games that we got to see. A lot of close games, a couple blowouts, but at the end of the day, uh, got to see a grand total of 11 games, which is impressive. In a 11 and a half. 11 and a half <laughs> in a, in a three-game time span. So uh, it was you know, great work, Seth, uh, for, for you and I as well. 
Uh, we'll we'll keep you updated in the next couple days. I know we will both be at regional action throughout this week. Uh, I know Division Four starts on Tuesday, the tenth, yep. and then uh, excuse me, yeah, the tenth, and then the eleventh. We've got uh, Division Two and Division Three. No, no sorry, three Division. On I'm the sorry, on one the and three, 11th, one yep. and three, and then uh, Division Two will be on Thursday the twelfth with regional finals coming the thirteenth and fourteenth. Yes, so, sir. Uh, we'll be at UD Arena. We'll do some halftime analysis and some uh, post-game analysis as when time is permitting. But otherwise, um, Seth, do you got anything else you want to add? No. Uh, outside of the fact that it was one heck of a, a, a weekend stretch here, again, three-day span to see 11 and a half games. Uh, and the only reason we didn't see more is because Division Two and Four lined up on the same night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um so certainly looking forward to regional semifinal and final action down at UD, at least four divisions, uh, four, three, and two. D1 regional action will be back down at the Cintas Center on Wednesday and Saturday. Um, so I don't know if we're going to get down to see the D1 regional matchups, unfortunately, uh, just with time permitting and, and kind of the volume of games that we can see. Uh, we'll probably be down at UD more often. Yes. Um, or we will be down at UD, unfortunately. Um, but we're looking. We've got some really good teams uh, at all four levels that really do have a chance to make a run at a state title from the Southwest District. Um, so we'll just see if they can get it done and uh, hopefully come championship Saturday here in a couple of weeks. Uh, we've got a Southwest uh, winner crowned in at least one division. Let's hope for it. Let's hope for it. Thanks, guys, again for listening, uh, and we will uh, check up with you next time.